Good morning. Very glad to be here with you today, this morning, and Happy New Year uh, from uh, your brothers and sisters at Radio. Our text this morning is from 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 16 to 17. Um, it's on page 3 of your bulletin. These two short verses pack a big punch, and uh, let us now hear the reading of God's holy and infallible word. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is God's word. Let us pray for his blessing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your wonderful word. May your spirit illuminate our heart and our mind so that we strive to trust and obey your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I grew up in a city with high-rise apartments packing people like canned sardines. Along with trees is something that we only see on TV. So when my wife and I purchased our first home here in New Jersey, Lawn care was a novelty and an adventure for us. <laughs> Shortly after we moved in, just before Thanksgiving, I had to clean up leaves for the first time. I did what came naturally. That was, I bent down and I picked up dry out leaves one by one with my hands. After crawling around seemed like forever, feeling sore and beaten up, our neighbor, a very sweet, nice old lady came to me. She handed me a thing and said, use this. Well, the blank look on my face probably told her that I have never seen a rake before. So she smiled and she showed me how to rake leaves. I managed to finish up in no time. Since then, cleaning up leaves is straightforward. At least I know what to do and how to do it now. I'm grateful for that short exchange with our sweet neighbor as she introduced me with, to this humble looking tool that is the rake that is useful for a lifetime. But certainly the Bible seems like a humble looking thing. It's a book for human words. It seems like any other book. But we learn from it that God has revealed us all the glorious truth about himself and about our duty to him and our salvation that is found in Christ. It tells us about the Holy Spirit who works faith in us. It tells us about our world, uh, how it's uh, a falling world in sin and yet a world that's being ruled by our sovereign God. It tells us about ourselves, how we need God for our salvation for every moment of our lives. And it tells us that God has set before us hope for a glorious future. You know all these things, but do you know that knowing the Bible does little if you do not use it for your own benefit? God is gracious. He does not only reveal us his saving plan in Christ and leave us alone, but he also gives us the tool for us to work out our salvation according to his term and his way. And this morning, we are going to consider this useful tool that is the Bible. 
scripture, especially for our sanctification and Christian life. We'll look at these verses in two parts. First, we are going to review the doctrine of scripture in order to know that God has given us true and a right word for us. And second, we'll consider the usefulness of God's word. The divinity of scripture is therefore the foundation of its utility for us. So our first point, the, the divinity of scripture. Many ancient writings tell us something about life itself. Aristotle wrote, wrote much about knowledge, government, and ethics. Confucius wrote much about wisdom, family, and morality, and good life. Now, what makes the Bible any different from all these widely read and respected texts? And this is where the doctrine of inspiration comes in. Paul says in verse 16, All scripture is breathed out by God. Now, throughout the New Testament, the word scripture in the Greek is a technical term describing a fixed collection of sacred writing, that is, the Old Testament, which was the Bible of the early church. The Old Testament writings were composed by various human authors over thousands of years. These writings include history, such as the five books of Moses and the history of the Jewish people. They include wisdom, sayings, and poetry, and proverbs, and psalms. They include prophecies, written by chosen men, acted as God's mouthpiece, that they spoke with God's authority about the acts of God and the future coming of the messianic salvation. All these 39 books of the Old Testament, they are regarded as the word of God. Even though they were written by human authors, they can be summed up as, thus says the Lord. The Old Testament writers and readers and readers, they recognized the divinity of the sacred scripture. And so did people in the New Testament, like Jesus and his apostles. There's no difference between what David or Isaiah said in the Bible or what God said. And at the time of writing of this letter, there was already the beginning of a collection of the New Testament writing scripture. For example, Paul cites the Gospel of Luke and calls it Scripture. And Peter refers to Paul's collection of letters also as a Scripture. So the 66 book of what we know of the Bible is collectively called the Holy Scripture or the Holy Writing. Here, Paul acknowledges that all Scripture came from God. Some English translations has every Scripture that is that came from God. The difference is not that important because it is true that every and all part of Scripture is God's Word. What is important and interesting is that Paul says that Scripture is breathed out by God. Those of you who may be using an older English translation, like the King James translation, may see verse 16 read, all scripture is inspired by God or given by inspiration of God. And this is where the doctrine of inspiration comes from. The, ori the original Greek word, inspiration by the uh, uh, King James Version or breathed out by God, 
by ESV, the original word appears to be invented by Paul, who combines the word God with the word breathing, combine them into one word. And perhaps having Isaiah 55, a passage we just read, in his mind, that the scripture is indeed God's word breathing out to bear fruit, to do his work in the life of his people. In the fourth century, the Latin Vulgate translated the original Greek word into the word inspirata or inspired, and it subsequently made its way into various English translations, and therefore you read the word being a scripture being inspired. Now, one of the most um, one of the most misunderstood aspects of the doctrine of Bible inspiration is that it seems to describe chosen writers as having this superhuman experience of thought during the time of their writing. The Bible was their inspired thoughts written down, therefore passed down for the church. Therefore, the emphasis is on these mortal and finite men who were inspired by the immortal and infinite God so that they wrote down God's word. Um, it is as if I was watching, I'm watching the Food Network and get inspired by certain dishes and try to make my own. And you see the problem with that kind of teaching or that kind of analogy. So you see, Paul says nothing like that here. Rather, he accentuates the origin of Scripture, not from man, but fully and truly from God as if God himself breathed out these words through human writers given to you. These men who wrote down, they were not inspired or divinized, as some may say, but the original text of the Bible itself is divine because it is inspired. It's breathed out by God. Much more can be said about this, but we will just state that. Bible is therefore unique among all other books because God breathed it out. Yes, God used human authors to write down books in human words. But these words, these writings, are nothing less than God's very own word. The Holy Spirit worked mysteriously in chosen authors so that the written words of God the written words of these men were the very word of God. No wonder when you read the Bible, there's such coherence, there's such unity in his teachings. Even though many human writers wrote various books of the Bible over thousands of years, it is because God himself is the divine author of his own divine word. And it is this divine origin of scripture that guarantee at least these following six things that we are just going to highlight very quickly. The Bible is infallible, meaning that it is incapable of error. The Bible is inerrant, meaning that it does not contain any mistake. It is authoritative because it is the word of God. It is necessary because outside of scripture, we do not truly know God, or sin, or salvation, 
that he has provided for us in Christ. The Bible is sufficient because through scripture alone, we receive truth and power to live for God. And the Bible is clear because God speaks to us as in a personal, face-to-face -face manner, in a known language that we can understand Him. During the last century, some scholars believed that the Bible was well, the Bible is merely human words in a collection. They only become God's word to us when we read it, understand it in our minds. When the Holy Spirit works in our minds to inspire us to understand it. Now, this teaching is false and unbiblical. The Bible itself is inspired. It is objectively true. No matter what we think or we say subjectively. We may interpret it wrongly, but it will be our fault and not God's. How the Spirit, how the Holy Spirit works in our mind to make us understand it is called the doctrine of illumination. It's a light shining in darkness and light up the inspired word, the brief out word of God that is true. And that illumination is a different subject matter, a theological matter, than inspiration. But you see, God is the ultimate and the divine author of the Bible. And the Bible is set far higher and apart from any other human writings or teachings, no matter how good they may sound, because it is God's word spoken and written down for us and for our salvation, so that we may come to know him, to love him, to embrace all that he has offered to us. And therefore, it is crucial for us to know and affirm that the Bible is God's word. I'll give you a couple of reasons. First, to know that there is objective truth in this word. Nowadays, objectivity is often eclipsed by subjectivity and feelings. And second, that God's the Bible was given to us so that we may study and interpret according to what God says, and not according to the whim of man, and treat it like a nose of wax. You may marvel at the grace of the truth of Jesus' teaching when you read the gospel. Your heart may be warmed by the intimate and personal nature of the psalm. You may be in awe of all the prophecies fulfilled, all the predictions fulfilled in the prophecies. You may be in awe of God when you read the Bible. Paul tells us that the Bible is not for our intellectual curiosity. It is useful for us. It is profitable for us. The divinity of Scripture is therefore the basis of this utility. When Jesus pleaded for God the Father to sanctify us in John 17, it was a plea. That was based on the fact that God's word is truth, so that we may be sanctified by this truth. And this leads to our second point, the utility of Scripture. If you are, if you are born in darkness, 
you'll probably adapt to your surroundings by walking, eating, and living. Well, I know that. And if the sun suddenly shines on you, your eyes are going to hurt for a moment. And then you'll see everything. And then, clearly, and then you will live a better life than a life lived in the darkness. The Bible is such a light to us because in it we see God and we see ourselves. The Bible tells us our true problem, that is sin, our true need, that is salvation, is offered freely in Christ. And the Bible tells us that Christ is our only Redeemer. Sin and grace are so fundamental to every aspect of our lives. It is like living in darkness versus living in the light of Jesus. So the Bible is this light that makes us live rightly and to walk in the light of God's truth. Now you may say, well, all is well and good for our religious life or faith. What about a day job? After all, the Bible is not a technical manual telling us how to make a vaccine or how to make an electric car. Well, notice this. The Bible is not only true. It is truth. It is the foundation and measuring stake to everything in this world, including our thought and our life choices. The Bible tells me how to be a truthful scientist or a car maker, how I may work with integrity of heart and mind, how to treat my colleagues and my wife and kids with honesty and humility, and how far I fall short of all this, and I, can, I need to continue to embrace all the grace, all the saving benefits that Christ offers me. In other words, the Bible tells us how to live as God's redeemed people in every life situation. Even better, how our holy and gracious and loving God desires to make us more and more like His Son, Jesus Christ, in everything we are and everything that we do. Friends, nothing else in the world can you read about all these things and hear about it and believe and lay hold of this good news of salvation that is in Christ. The Bible is useful for us in every way because it is true. And this truth sanctifies us according to God's unbreakable promise and good pleasure, equipping us for every good work. So when, the, when, when Paul says here that scripture is profitable to us, it's not that by reading it, we make money off it. We can't forbid, but by reading it, by hearing it preached and explained, knowing it and understanding it and obeying it, we profit for we profit from forsaking this sinful world more and more, while being made more and more Christ-like. When we grow in Christian maturity and wisdom, we profit in our life choices, in making better decisions. We profit by being enriched in our prayer and worship because we have a better understanding and knowledge and relationship with God. We grow in strength and assurance of faith 
during times of difficulty and much more. Now, that's profits that you don't and you can't earn, but given to you by God as a gift. In the remaining time, we will look at four useful and profitable things Scripture does to make us more Christ-like. They are teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. So first, Scripture is profitable for teaching. Teaching presupposes that we lack knowledge and understanding. The Bible, the Bible teaches us the glory of God, His holy will for us. And, all of us, and how God redeems and glorifies us through Christ. Once again, you find nothing like this in worldly literature and thought. They focus on self-love, self-improvement, and self-glory. All things that God abhors and reverses through Christ. In other words, we cannot simply find our way to God and to heaven either by ourselves or by relying on human teachings or government and education, because we are all lost in sin. Without God's word, we are blind, leading or following the blind. But when this divine teaching comes to us, we see truth in all its glory. And by the help of the Holy Spirit, we learn all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge stored up in Christ. Because we don't find this in the world, we need to learn. And the Bible teaches us this truth. J. Gresham Mason said that the essence of Christianity is not life, even a transformed life. The heart of the Christian faith is a set of divine, immovable doctrines. Doctrines like Trinity, sin, salvation, righteousness, holiness, and glory. And truth such as this must be taught to us. We can never learn enough of them. The Greek word here for teaching gives us the English word didactic method. This method tells us that there is objective, objective truth out there that's not innate to us. And in order to not live in falsehood and blindness and weakness, we must be taught. We must be learners. And, that, and the didactic method is one that presupposes truth and genuine content that a teacher can indoctrinate us. The risen Christ is such a divine teacher. He teaches us by his Holy Spirit inspired and illuminated word so that we may learn more of him. And this is why Jesus gave um, the church the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Since all authority of heaven and earth was given to the risen Christ, the church is to make disciples by, notice, teaching them all that he has commanded. The church is to teach the word of Christ found only in the Bible. And the usefulness of the Bible in teaching is that it converts the lost. It builds up our faith by teaching us truth that transcends this fallen world. It gives us truth as guiding light for our path and gives us joy and comfort that God is ours and we are His. 
Second, scripture is profitable for reproof. We live in a time when we frown upon any negativity, such as reproof or rebuke, because they hurt our feeling. It seems that we only believe in positive reinforcement in our lives to build up our self-esteem and confidence. But think about this. How can you give me positive encouragement when I beat up your wife? And if your child say, if your child says two plus two equals five, and she gets an A, do you think that she will ever learn the truth or the right thing? God knows that we are by nature rebellious sinners. We refuse to turn to Him because we love ourselves and we are too prideful to admit that we have sinned against Him. For this reason, God must rebuke or reprove us by giving us great warning of what is wrong. If teaching primarily informs our mind, reproof mainly speaks to our hearts. It happens so often that unless someone points out our mistake and rebukes us, we will not turn around and seek the right way. The Bible is this right, objective, outside voice warning us the danger of sin and the allure of unbelief. But reproof doesn't only expose sin. The Bible shows us holiness and the glory of God. God confronts our heart by showing us the filthiness of our sin and how he, dis how he is displeased when we go astray. And this reproof is for the purpose of our repentance as we are compelled to turn to God with a humble and contrite heart because he alone can pardon us and heal us. Look at examples of how God, how His Word, reproves and disciplines His people. Nathan uses a story to convict David of his murder and adultery. Moses accuses the Israelites of sinning against God whenever they grumble about food and comfort. With a prophecy and a gaze, Jesus convicts Peter from denying him three times. But also notice that God is gentle and merciful to his beloved children. He rebukes us not to destroy us or shame us, but to bring us back to him and to his righteous path. Even rebuking his disciples for being slow and spiritually dull, Jesus tenderly calls them Oh, you of little faith. The master never let go of his beloved. The, the good shepherd uses his staff to hook and pull his wandering sheep back to his fold, away from danger. Third, scripture is profitable for correction. Imagine you prepare for an SAT by taking a practice test. You score a 400 in math. You check the answer key and you know that you get more wrong answers than the right ones. Now what are you going to do? Are you going to just shut off the bad score and go take the real exam? Or are you going to find out what you have done wrong 
correct your mistakes and then learn from them and take the real test. Scripture never tells us that we are in sin and leave us there. God's word has the divine power to correct our sinful ways. It shows us what's wrong with us as well as showing us Christ who can make us right with God who has all grace and resource in our time of need. The Bible is not a self-help manual or an instruction booklet to tell us how we can work to become better. The Word of God is breathed out by His Holy Spirit who has the divine power to get to the heart of our sins. The Bible gives us the right medicine to heal our sickness. It gives us a leg to walk in God's path. And most of all, it gives us Christ as our Lord, who is not only true, but the power for our sanctification, when the Holy Spirit conforms us to His image, which we often call the Christ-likeness. And this is why the Bible is profitable to us. It does not give us suggestions, the commandments to live a holy life before a holy God, because he has graciously made us his holy and beloved people in Christ. In this way, the Bible corrects us not by brute force, but by making us willing and able to submit to God. Whatever God says is not only true, but it's good. And we need to obey and do His will. And this obedience, this desire to do His will, is also used by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, so that we may be made complete, as Paul says, to be men and women of God. Fourth, the Bible is profitable for training in righteousness. The word for training in the original language, language is paideia. You know pediatrics is medical practice for children. And you know pedagogy is a method for training up children. In the Greco-Roman culture, paideia is a particular way of training up children. Frequently, a teacher houses his student. And he teaches his student not only how to think by giving them lectures, but he also shows them how to live by applying his lecture, by giving them an example of everyday life so that they may model his way of life. As a result, students are to imitate the teachers. In this way, the students grow and learn to become like their teachers in how they think and how they behave. The Bible trains us. In a similar way, it does not give us a set, of, a set of instructions and tell us to just go do it yourself. We are commanded to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Paul in Philippians. But how? For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. We see here, every Christian is trained by the Bible. Because God himself leads us by his hand to show us who he is and what he has done in Christ. 
Jesus himself learned in his personal experience how to remain faithful to God among unfaithful people, how to live righteously in an unrighteous society, and how to live a holy life in an unholy world order, and how to be a child of God by abiding in his Father's every word. Put it in another way, the risen Christ himself comes near to us and teaches us his way of life. He trains us up. He brings us up by speaking truth to us and by giving us, us his Holy Spirit to empower us to know, to love him, to have the desire to obey him, to follow him, to imitate him every step of our way in every life situation. And the grand purpose of God is to chain us up from a child to become mature manhood, as Paul says, so that we may be equipped for every good work that God has prepared us to do, to glorify, to enjoy Him forever. And much more can be said about our passage, but we must end now. I hope that you have seen that the Bible is breathed out by God, even though the Bible looks humble, looks like a collection of human words. It is the divine word of God, useful to make you to become like Christ. Think about the word of God is come to you to raise you from the dead, to turn you from a puddle of mud to a beautiful marble. And this human-looking, humble tool chisel and chip away each part that God doesn't work in you to make you this beautiful statue. Not like David or Michelangelo, but like Christ Jesus, our Lord. So this new year, come to read God's Word. Listen to the preaching. Listen actively. Meditate on it. Love it, embrace it, eat it, have it nourish you, obey it, make use of it, because it is of good use for you, so that you may walk in the righteousness of path that Christ takes you by hand on a daily basis. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for your holy and invaluable word, through which we gain Christ by his indwelling spirit. May the Spirit teach, reprove, correct, and train us into mature Christ-likeness so that we may be profitable as your people to rejoice in how great a salvation that we have received in Christ and that we may serve our holy and gracious God all the days of our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.